Today, Pastor Javen continues the series, First Comes Love, where we, were, where we are looking at what singleness, dating, and marriage looks like for those who follow Christ. Today, we are going to look at the role sexuality plays in relationships and what level of seriousness we should approach our desires. Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Now, we started a series a couple weeks ago. We were in week three of this series, First Comes Love. And we say we're looking at singleness, dating, and marriage from the standpoint of a follower of Christ. And our hope is that if you're not a follower of Christ, that you hear our heart as ones who do pursue Christ and understand that we're not coming from outdated rules. We're coming from a, from a perspective that's trying to bring life and fulfillment in our relationships in a positive way. And I have been given this warning, and this warning especially goes for today, okay? If you have little ones in here, I don't know if there are, but if little ones un, uh, under... Sixth grade, elementary, younger. Uh, uh, our ushers be glad to show you where the elementary environments are, preschool environments, because we will talk about the three-letter word today. All right, that starts with S. Okay, so if you're not ready to answer questions, I'll give you a moment. All right. Anybody like pineapples? Yeah. I love pineapples. Uh, I, um, I, now this is one of the hot topics, hot debatable topics uh, on this aspect of a pineapple. I love pineapples on pizza. Now, I know everybody doesn't like that, but I love pineapples on pizza. Yeah, and I'm not even the Hawaiian pizza guy. You give me pepperoni and pineapples on a pizza. That's what, that's what I, like. I, I like. I'll even put sliced pineapples on a burger. I love a pineapple. But, um, you know, these, I don't know if you know this about a pineapple. Pineapples were discovered by Christopher Columbus. It was on his second voyage in 1493, right? He came to the Caribbean islands, the island of Guadalupe, and they came upon this camp where it looked like people had been and they had been eating. And they saw these cut open things and it looked like people had been eating out of these. And they saw these whole ones sitting on the side and they're like, man, what are these things? And they cut open one, they tasted it and they're like, this thing is amazing. This is so good. They didn't have these back in Europe. So they loaded up as many as they could and they took them back to Europe with them, the pineapple, and talked about them and showed them. And then the pineapple became a symbol of success for those who were elite, for the wealthy. It was, it was a coveted commodity in Europe, the pineapple. In fact, there's a picture of King Charles II being presented a pineapple of all things. I think we have that picture. This is him being presented a pineapple. Why would you present a king a pineapple? Because of how valued it was, right? And some, some say the reason from this pain is he's being presented the first pineapple to actually be grown in Europe. It's likely, no one knows this for a fact, but it's likely that the whole reason a pineapple sits on top of the Wimbledon trophy, you know, Wimbledon, we have a picture of the Wimbledon trophy. That, that's a pineapple on top of the trophy. It's likely that the whole reason a pineapple's on top of that trophy, the trophy given to singles champions at Wimbledon tennis match, uh, is because of the whole idea of success. And it was a, a symbol of elite people. You know, not everybody could afford a pineapple. Those who couldn't afford pineapples and they wanted to throw a dinner party and look like they were, you know, kind of well off, they would rent pineapples. Can you believe that? They would rent them. They would put them in their dining room and you, people would come in and they'd say, oh, you got pineapples. We do. Can't eat them. But man, aren't they beautiful? But now if you were well off and you were invited to a dinner party and these were the parties where the dining room door was kept shut and... 
um, and, and it was open at the right time, right? When dinner was ready and the doors got flew open and all of a sudden you see everything that's been prepared for the dinner party. If that door was flew open, flown open and you saw pineapple dressing, everything, then you knew the host and the hostess went all out for you for the dinner party because pineapples were a coveted commodity. They were precious. They were valued. They were, they were looked at at a very high regard. Nowadays, they're just treated as common and thrown on whatever, right? It's crazy about the pineapple. I'll just let you think about that for a minute. So week one, we started this series and we started talking about whatever season we're in, whether it's single or married, right? That season that we're in, that is a good season. It's a gift that's been given to us by God. We, I, and I understand and I realize that as a single, sometimes those seasons are hard and they're difficult. There's struggles that come with that. But it doesn't mean it can't be a good season, Because here's the thing about the seasons that we're in. Every season we're given is given to us for God's glory. And whatever the season, God, we need God in that season. We need him. We need him to be. That's why we're saying first comes love. But the love that must come first is our first love for God. Right? Last week we talked about the aspect of dating. And we said that dating is something that we should not take lightly. We need to have high standards in in regards to dating. For singles, we need to have... You, I'm not single. You, you need to have high standards on your why, having a clarity of purpose about why you would even date someone, a cl- uh, and a high standard about who. And we even looked at the fact that Paul said it's not, if you are a pursuer of Christ, if you're pursuing Christ, then you might want to stay with someone who's pursuing Christ in regards to dating relationships. Because if you venture out of that and you find someone else, you're going to find yourselves pulling in two totally different directions. And we said we need to have a high standard for love. Jesus gave us the standard of love when he said, love others the way that I have loved you. And that was a very high standard. And so we have to have this high standard for love. And the more intimate the relationship, the higher the standard. So we need to pursue that standard and never stop pursuing it in marriage. And when we get married as well, we never stop dating. We keep dating our wife. Now we're going to go on this morning and we're going to, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So you can go there with me this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's writing, this is his first letter to the church of Corinth. And Paul seems to be writing to a very sexually driven culture. Now what we, you know, Paul is answering questions also in the writings that he writes into this church. And so he seems to be answering some questions that are of sexual nature. And Paul is addressing these things. And so I want us to see this morning what he speaks and what he says here. First Corinthians chapter six, starting verse 12, he says this, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that your own bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is made of, which is part of Christ and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. 
For the scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. God, by the name of Dr. Christopher Ewan, we referenced him a couple of weeks ago, a quote from him. He said this, he said, sexual freedom has become a new religion in our society. And it is true. You've probably heard the term sex drive before. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when sex drives our life. That's the problem. You know, this can't be our approach to sexuality. We mentioned it last week that we, we have this mindset in our culture that feeling good must be the highest good. But it, that's not the way it should be. When it comes to sexuality, there's a danger of allowing our sexuality to uh, our desires in that regards to, to dictate our decisions and to direct our paths and the things that we do. You know, our culture teaches the total opposite and has for years of what scripture points to and teaches in regards to how sexuality should be treated. You know, what we see in regards to our culture and relationships is really what we see in regards to every aspect that bleeds into our life. And especially so for us in the Western part of the the world, and that is a consumer mentality. We treat often our relationships as a consumer relationship. And if you don't start, if you're not giving me what I need, and if you're not adjusting to meet my needs, then I'm going to go find where I can meet my needs. And that's what happens. But that's a consumer mentality in a relationship. God has not called us to a consumer mentality in a relationship. God's called us to a covenant relationship. And a covenant relationship says, I will adjust to you even if my needs aren't getting met right now. Because this relationship is very important to me. And I made a promise to you. So we're going to work together in this moment. And ironically, when you begin to do that, you start finding your affections grow even stronger. And the intimacy becomes even greater when that covenant relationship is treated in that way. Sex was given to us by God. Think the physiology and the biology of sex, everybody all right? Was given to us by God. He created it. He designed it. See, a lot of people think that Christians think that, you know, that you, you, you don't see sex as, as enjoyable as it really is. Au contraire, mon frère. <laughs> I mean, yes, we understand. We know that it is. There is that aspect of sex. It is enjoyable. In fact, I mean, it's in scripture. 
Read the Song of Solomon. He is enjoying his bride. I can't put it any other way. That's what he's doing. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 5 to his sons that there is an enjoyment, but enjoy it with your wife. Paul keeps going in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and he points to the fact that, listen, I understand that sex is enjoyable. And because it is, get married. And so, and that's not to treat it flippantly. I understand there's some, some aspects of it, but, but just like with everything, the enemy comes and he twists it and he perverts it. Right? And the fact that it's enjoyable doesn't mean that Christians don't understand the enjoyment of it the way that we treat how we treat it and how we talk about it, we also understand that where it's enjoyable, it also has very powerful effects. And anything that has powerful effects in the way that it does, there's warnings that come with it. Now think about it. Look, look, I brought some examples, all right? Here's a, here, a rotary drill. All right? This is an old thing, but there's, you might not be able to see it, but, but in that small print there that's not blurred, it says, this product is not intended for use as a dental drill or in medical applications, okay? Rotary drill, okay? So, Billy Bob, if Jimmy has a toothache, you cannot go to the shed and get your rotary drill and work on it, all right? I mean, that's... I'm sorry, that was very stereotypical. But it's not... That's a rotary drill. That's meant for other things, all right? But there's a warning, very powerful tool, but you got to give a warning with it, all right? Here's another one. Fox and bobcat urine powder. Why in the world would you want that? People put that in their yard to keep rodents out. But there's a warning on there. It says this product's not for consumption. You can't snort it. You can't put it in your food, all right? It is for something totally different, okay? Shouldn't snort anything, by the way. But there's a warning. Very powerful effects. There's a warning. How about this one? It's a washing machine. Washing machines run at high speeds. You see it. Don't put a person inside of here. Thanks for clearing that up. I mean, it's a warning though. Very powerful. Powerful effects can happen. Got to have that warning. How about this one? Don't hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Somebody, I mean, I don't know, but it's a warning. Powerful thing. A chainsaw can do some damage if you grab the end that's running with your hand. All right. That's not good. Okay. Powerful. Powerful. There's uh, apparently there's a warning on jet skis and ATVs that says that, um, that never use a lit match or an open flame to check the fuel level. of your jet ski or ATV. Listen, fire is a good thing. Fire can heat a room. I was thankful for fire when, when our power was out for 12 years, uh, 12 years. Good God, help me for, uh, 12 hours during the, uh, during the ice storm, right? A couple weekends ago, thankful for it. Um, thankful, thankful for fire. You can cook with fire, right? 
I mean, the whole reason they tell you that is because fire does take place and it's called internal combustion. What happens in those things, the internal combustion is what propels your vehicle and you to have fun. But if that fire is lit and is taken outside of its arena that it's supposed to be within, it's not good at that moment, right? There's a danger that happens. There's a danger that comes in that regards. But see, here's the thing. None of us are looking at these warnings and saying, man, why did the manufacturers put them warnings on there? They're trying to take all the fun from us. Now, probably most of us are looking at it. Why did they have to put those warnings on us? Like what, who is doing those things, right? But we understand anything powerful and anything that has powerful effects, a warning comes with it. So we understand as followers of Christ, we understand that God designed this. He has the patent on it. And if he designed it, he understands it. He understands the proper design and structure for it. And the instructions and the guidelines that are being given through by him through others are not to take away fun. They're to show us the proper design and the use. And that design is for a man and a woman in the covenant marital relationship. That's what we see throughout scripture. Sex cannot be treated as something that's just physical or casual. If sex is just physical or casual, then why do people struggle to overcome things that happen to them of a sexual nature? Why does it leave such a deep scar in their life? This is just one area. There's so many other ways that this can happen, but the National Domestic Violence Center says that women are much more prone to report physical abuse than rape because there's a shame and a trauma that's attached to rape that makes it difficult to talk about and difficult to approach. Why is it that so many regrets happen in people's lives from sexual encounters in their life? To treat sex as purely physical and purely casual is to hurt ourselves at the deepest part of our souls. Paul has this very weird transition in chapter six where we were reading. He starts off in verse 13 and he says, you say food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now he's talking about it. He's talking about food. But then he kind of goes from that statement and then he starts talking about sex. (laughs) And he says, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for God. Why this abrupt change? Because what Paul is pointing out is, listen, you don't have a spiritual soul connection with your food. Now, some of you might, I don't know, but not typically. I mean, there's things I enjoy, but you know, not that deep. But, but he's saying you don't have that with food. So you can't treat sex the same way you treat that. Well, I'm hungry, I might as well eat. I have a sexual urge, I must need to satisfy it. 
Paul's saying, no, you can't treat it that way. Because there's a deeper connection that comes with that. And in the same in the same context, he starts talking about it with a prostitute. And he says that you can't have, you, you have sex with a prostitute and you're, you're becoming one with her. And you're, you're saying, well, well, he's talking about a prostitute. So that's not the person that I actually love and actually have a relationship with. Yeah, we're not married, but man, we have a relationship. We're very connected. Don't look at it that way. Look at it this way. Paul is saying that even in a relation, even in a context of one like a prostitute, where there is, this is a stranger. This is no, no commitment beyond this one little moment. He's saying, even in that little moment, you become one with them. So if you become one with the prostitute in that cheap moment of satisfaction, how much deeper does it happen in a relationship that means something to you? There is a soul connection that takes place. So maybe, and you knew this, the way we view the pineapple, where it was once a very noteworthy thing and should be something sacred, is now treated as just something very common. But scripture tells us it's much deeper than that. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 5. It's in his Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about adultery, which is sex outside of the marital covenant. And in verse 27 of chapter 5, he says, You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that sounds pretty stern, doesn't it? Listen, I remember God is not a God that he, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. Right. But what he's pointing out is seriousness of everything here. How we treat that person, how we view that person is very important. And it affects us and our heart as well. And he goes on and he says, so if your eye, even your good eye, (laughs) causes you to lust. Now, I understand this is gory sounding, but he says, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he says, and if your hand, even your strong hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And you're like, wow, man, Jesus, that's pretty drastic. And he's like, exactly. That's how serious this is. Now, I don't think that Jesus is, I don't know if anyone actually left that mountain that day and went and did that. We don't know. That's not recorded. Um, I think what Jesus is really just trying to do is he's trying to drive home a point. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think he's truly encouraging someone to go gouge their eye out and cut their hand off. 
What he's saying is you need to do everything you need to do to take the temptation away. That's why Paul wrote in the letter we, in that part of the letter we read, he said, run, get out of Dodge, run as fast as you can from sexual immorality. Why? Because our souls, our bodies are vehicles for our souls. We are created in the image of God. And they, we are connected to him. So Jesus is saying, don't do anything that separates your soul from your creator. Do everything you can to guard against that from happening. C.S. Lewis, when talking about the fact that God's design is for all this to be a part of the fusion of the whole person, C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. He said, the monstrosity of sex outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual union, from all other kinds of union, which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. See, sex touches the soul in a way that nothing else does. And that's what Paul was saying to the church of Corinth. Sex is a different, it's, it's not that you commit this sin, you're committing a sin far greater than any other sin that is committed. But what you're doing is you're creating, you're, you're, you're committing a sin that affects you differently than any other sin affects you. See, God designed you to be cherished as a soul before you were enjoyed as a body. That's how he designed it. So in standing up here, I've got this kind of dual purpose. And that is to point out that there is a, there's a lot at stake when it comes to sexual sin. But I also want to proclaim that Jesus can heal and he can restore. For those in here today who've had sexual abuse happen to them. I can't imagine. I can't imagine the hurt and the scars and the wounds that come from that. But I do believe that God can heal you. But it might take someone helping you journey through the stages to find healing. One counselor said it this way, the healing journey for survivors entails intense work at a stage of identifying what wrongs were done to them, owning their sadness and anger, grieving their losses, and clearing away the damaged thoughts and behaviors that have held them back. They can let go of their tight grip on the need for vindication. It's been accomplished for them and is more adequate than whatever means that might attempt, and that's through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So for people who have been damaged by sexual abuse, the journey is one of remembering, which is hard, grief and anger. And only then can the choice of forgiveness based on Christ's payment on their behalf lead to begin, lead them to begin to integrate their past and their present and live beyond the confines of sorrow and the open doors to a future filled with new possibilities and a trust in the God who is entirely trustworthy. 
So I pray today that if that's you, that you can find someone and we'll help you as a church, find someone if you need that. For those who have not treated sexuality in the design that God intended it, God can heal and God can restore. Now, what we do need to know and what we do need to understand is that God restoring our sin and forgiving us and knowing that he will do that doesn't mean, well, I can go have fun and then just ask forgiveness later. Dr. Christopher Ewan also made this statement, a very powerful statement. The unconditional love of God is not the same thing as the unconditional approval of my behavior. Paul wrote about, this is what Paul was talking about. I want to look at it from the message translation. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? I heard one person say this. He said, how can you love Jesus and still pursue what put him on the cross? That's a tough way to think about it. But man, God can forgive you. Jesus approached a woman in John chapter four, we see it where he approached this woman in Samaria. She came up, she was getting well, a water from a well. And he starts talking, they start this conversation about the water. And then Jesus tells her, look, I can give you some water that, that's way better. And so he's talking to her about this and she says, and she says she wants it. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, this is not, you need, this needs to be for the, your whole family. Go get your husband. And she says, well, well I don't have one. And, and then he responds, I know. You've got five. And the one you're living with right now is not even your husband. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he bring up this woman's messed up love life? Because Jesus is making a point. We don't, we don't see the reasons for why this is happening in this woman's life. If it's her and her decisions, if it's men abusing her, we don't see the reasons. But the point of Jesus is plain and simple. Everything you're searching for is only fulfilled in him. That's why he has to be your first love. Jesus would say, whoever drinks of the water of the world, they're just going to get thirsty again. Every time you have your physical desire and you meet that physical desire with what the world gives you, The physical desire is just going to come back up again. But he says, whoever drinks of the living water. Basically what Jesus is saying, their life isn't going to be dictated by their physical desires anymore. You're going to be able to do what Paul was, was writing about. Walk with the spirit. Be guided by the spirit. In Exodus chapter 15, we're about to close. We see the story of the Israelites They'd been journeying for several days since leaving Egypt in in the desert. Scripture tells us it was three days. They were thirsty. They came up on this water, this oasis, and you you can picture, imagine them running to this oasis, and they just start drinking from this uh, this water, and they immediately start spitting it out and saying how bitter it was. I mean, think about that. How bitter must that water have been for them to have been walking through a desert for three days that they don't want to drink it? And so Moses begins to pray and says, God, we need some help with this water. And God says, look at that tree over there. Grab that tree, grab the wood from that tree and put it in that water. 
and you'll be able to drink it. And he does, and they do. And then in verse 26 of Exodus 15, we see God speak to Moses and say, If you'll listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands, keeping all his decrees, this is before the law has really been given, then I will make you, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord who heals you. In other words, what's God saying? If you will trust me and follow me in the way that I have designed this life to be lived out, And the way I'm going to show you this life is to be lived. If you trust me in that, your life will be fulfilled in ways that nothing else will fulfill it. And then it was thousands of years later, the Romans would take some wood from a tree and they would form a cross and they would hang Jesus Christ on it. Peter would remember the words of the prophet Isaiah when he talked about the suffering Messiah who would come. And Peter wrote these words in his letter and he says, by his stripes, we are healed. God can heal you today. But see, Jesus took our curse on him. We referenced the verse a couple weeks ago, Galatians 3.13. He says that it says... When he was hung on a cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He took that curse. See, the cross can make what has become bitter in your life and make it right. That's what God can do for you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, God can heal and God can restore because of what Jesus did on the cross. But we have to remember what Paul went on and wrote in Galatians chapter 5. Stand with me this morning as we read this and as we close. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Wait. I jumped ahead. Let's jump back to verse uh, 13. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up And this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus taught us what it meant to love our neighbor. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul is saying, I get it. Even when you're trying to follow Christ, these natures are battling within you. But when you are directed by the Spirit, Paul says... 
you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. I mean, some of the first ones he hit are on that topic. But he says, listen, those are big, but they're not, they're not the only ones. He says, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, let anyone living that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, you're cutting your soul off from your creator. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, and you know it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against those things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Let God heal you today. Let God restore you. If you need to talk to someone, call us. Get in touch with us. Let us know. We'll talk with you. And there is no, do not be ashamed. Do not let shame keep you from finding healing. Church, for far too often we've put shame on people in regards to sexual sin. It's Paul, it's just a, it's a list of a sin with other sins. We need to love and help find healing. So let God heal you. Let God restore you. And then when you do, trust God and follow his design. And let him bless your life in a way that you can never imagine. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person in this room today. God, I know that just in this moment, every aspect of sexual immorality outside of your design cannot be hit on and touched on. And so I know that there might be questions even that, that come in people's hearts and minds today. But Father, I pray that they would begin to seek you. They'll do what Dr. Christopher Ewan did, that he sat down in his questions and he began to search from cover to cover what the word God said about it. And despite his desires leading him one way, he found you. And he abandoned his desires for you. And the new desires that you gave him. Father, help us today. God, those that need healing today, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you can heal and that you begin to heal and restore what needs to be healed and restored in their life. 
God reveal to them the next stage they may need to take. If they need someone in their life that has been gifted by you to help them journey through the process, God, help them to be, to find the strength, to be willing to do that, to talk to someone and to get that help they need. But ultimately, Father, you are the healer. So we seek you today and we ask that you begin to move. And we pray today that in everything we do, that you can help us, God, to honor you in the design of this life, the way that you have created it, so that we can see our life live in a fulfilled way beyond anything that we can imagine. But help you be, God, help us to make you always our first love. Let you be our first love in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Pray you have a great week. Go be catalyst for transformation. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccambin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.